This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn. I'm the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing. Marketing Matters airs live every Wednesday from 5 to 7 p.m. each week. Um, and we also replay it several times during the week. Americus Reed, the hip-hop professor, he's out this week. But we're very lucky, and we're joined by a special co-host this weekend, this evening. She's no stranger to our show. She's co-hosted before. Um, it, her name is Ellie Fight. She's a professor of marketing at Drexel, and she's a senior fellow at the Wharton Customer Analytics Initiative. Hello, Ellie. It's great to have you back on the show. Yeah, it's great to be here. Happy to have Data Girl on the show tonight. Yeah, right. <laughs> Whenever Ellie comes, we have to talk about data, data analytics, customer analytics. It's her passion. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about artificial intelligence right. a little later, right? Yeah, artificial intelligence. I mean, everything data you know, right? Mm, I hope Some of it, yeah. <laughs> and you've written a lot of books on it, too, haven't you? Um, I have a book uh, about using the R statistical programming language um, and applying it to marketing problems. And when she was here, I don't think you've taught it recently. You taught one of our most popular co- courses on experiments. Yeah, I teach it over at Drexel now. Um, I got too busy this year to teach it over uh, here. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's a it's a full semester-long class in uh, what's called A-B testing. So how to set up experiments to answer important tactical questions that marketers have. So let me just warn you. We have a session here when we have it at 5.30 when we're going to open up the mic to any questions. And I am telling you. Ellie Fight is the expert on data analytics, customer analytics, experiments, A-B testing, anything like that. Save your question. Call in. Sure. Right? You're willing to help out? Absolutely. Okay. So we have a packed show tonight. We have at 5 o'clock Peter Adams. He's the reporter at the online trade journal Marketing Dive. And we're going to talk with him about some of his recent stories about the controversial Gillette ad on toxic masculinity and some of the interesting things that Netflix is doing, which is timely because Netflix just won an Academy Award nomination, um, which is cool. And then at 5.30, as I mentioned, Ellie and I will talk a little bit about some of the cool things that are happening in retail. The NRF show just happened recently, the big show in New York in um, the second week of January, I think it was. And there were lots of discussions about what are the new trends in retail. And, of course, a lot of the trends are about data um, and what you can do with data. So we'll talk a little bit about some of that stuff. And then we will open it up to questions if you have some. And in particular, take advantage of Ellie being here. She does know about A-B testing. She knows data analytics. She knows R, whatever the hell that is. No, actually, I know what that is. <laughs> right? It's a programming language. It's right? a programming language. <laughs> exactly. Okay. I said that before, Barbara. Oh, okay. Well, I wasn't always listening and listening to every word, but I do know what R is. Okay. And then at 6 o'clock, we have David McBride. He's an independent consultant who's focused on customer analytics um, and a friend of Ellie's, I bet. Or do you know what you know? Yeah, Dave and I met in um, the sort of Philadelphia data scene, so we'll have to talk about data johns. Right. Oh, data johns. And he also 
worked at IBM Watson, so he's had that experience, so it'll be interesting to go back and ask him about that. And then at 6.30, we have Jethro Perez, who's a data scientist. Do you detect a theme here <laughs> from Madison Reed? And if you don't know what Madison Reed is, it's one of the new up-and-coming startups on hair color. Um, but it's really interesting about how they're using AI at Madison Reed, and they have an online color quiz, and it works really well, and he can tell us how that works. So it's a really exciting show, and we're excited, and we have lots going on, so let's start right in with Peter. Hello, Peter. Hey, Barbara. Hey, Ali. How are you guys? Well, I'm fine. How about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> doing well. I'm excited to talk to you, Peter. I actually, can I ask the first question? Sure. Go right ahead. <laughs> how... You're a marketing journalist, so you focus on news story, writing news stories about what people are doing in the digital marketing space. How yep. do you land in that? <laughs> uh, so went to went to journalism school and didn't necessarily, um, you know, plan to cover business media coming out of it. But um, you know, when I graduated a couple years back, just sort of saw. Um, some of the changes that were happening in the marketing industry. And when I initially started writing for the journal I do right now, um, there were, you know, particularly a lot of things happening with Google and Facebook, um, sort of the the digital duopoly. That sort of perked my interest as just a consumer and user of those platforms. And that sort of led me down the path to, to what I cover now. Marketing Dive is a very cool publication. There's like Retail Dive. And can you tell us a little bit about those, what, what all it is? I guess a dive into getting deeper into it. But sure. I, I've read some of the articles. I have to say you guys do a great job. Yeah, I know you guys were talking about NRF and, uh, and our, uh, our fellow editors and reporters were up there from Retail Dive a couple weeks back. Um, but yeah, we're, we're owned by a, a DC-based uh, business media company called Industry Dive. Uh, we cover a, a bunch of different vertical markets. Uh, I'm obviously focused on the marketing side of things, but we also have retail, restaurant, you know, a few different um, consumer-facing categories as well. So I'm curious because uh, it's so you, people can sign up to read it, and then what's your revenue model? Uh, I, I didn't notice ads, or how does that work? It's it's advertising. Oh, based, it is. Yeah. I yeah. guess I don't notice them. Don't tell them. <laughs> don't tell the advertisers. <laughs> I'm so focused on your content. <laughs> well, yeah, well, we appreciate it. It's really good stuff. So you've been in marketing now for a little while, um, and you. Why, why don't you tell us about the Gillette ad in case in case somebody's been living under a rock and hasn't seen it? Why don't you describe what the, what Gillette's trying to do? Yeah, with that? an interesting way to kick off the year, at least from the brand marketing space. Um, you know, Gillette P&G brand, legacy razor brand, um, launched an ad that tackles the, the subject of uh, toxic masculinity, um, which I've actually been on this show before to discuss. And, you know, it takes a, a fairly bold stance on it, you know, telling men to be better and call out uh, abuse and harassment when they see it. And it also makes um, direct reference to the Me Too movement um, and has just spurred a lot of outrage um, particularly from that whole, you know, men to be better angle or painting all men in a negative light, uh, which is what the what the critics would say. If you actually, you know, watch the ad, you can sort of uh, have different takeaways from it. But So before uh, you go into a lot of detail, let me just ask you, just as an ad, you know, creative and things like that, do you think, forget about the controversy first, but do sure. you think it was like a well-produced, cool, good ad? I, so it's interesting. I, the first time I watched it was at the at CES uh, at the start of the year. P&G was there for the first time, mm, and they showed it to an audience of you know marketers, agency folks, 
CMOs, and the second after they showed it, you know, the moderator on the panel said, you guys do really good video work. Mm -hmm. And the people sitting next to me, you know, were all kind of whispering, oh, that was so good, um, which, you know, when this rolled out broadly to consumers, uh, obviously is not a shared sentiment. So <laughs> yeah. I think from a creative execution standpoint, if you read the industry trades, um, yeah, people think P&G is one of the best at this stuff. Whether this was the right messaging strategy for Gillette to go with uh, is sort of what's up for debate. So how when this rolled out to consumers, do you want to talk a little bit about how consumers are seeing this video? It's not rolling like in the middle of some CNN. Right. Well, I think it's one of those things that snowballed. It's the beginning of the year. There's not a ton going on. Um, or if there is, it's, you know, I but think people it's only probably... being distributed as a viral video, basically. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I would never underestimate the ability for social media to mobilize around this stuff. So even though a lot of the response to the ad has been negative, it's racked up, you know, millions of views on YouTube and Twitter. So I think once a certain group of people online starts calling this out as an attack um, or as offensive, you know, it's easy for these sort of grassroots movements online to take off and then you get calls for boycotting the brand Um, but before you just do all negative i've actually i did a little research right because i knew we're going to come on to see like if there's been some updated statistics on this yeah and png of course has their own take and who knows fake news whatever i don't know what's going on but it seems like there's been a mixed reaction it's not just all boycott um suppose so one metric was sales png admitted sales hasn't changed it hasn't gone down but hasn't changed it's also too early to tell for that stuff so yeah john moeller on the earnings call today png's cfo said it hasn't really moved the needle um but you know a couple months from now to the degree that you can prove marketing impact sales it'll be a while to get uh, the the full picture on this, and Ali, I know that's maybe a little bit more of your specialty. Yeah, in, yeah. In terms of time <laughs> She's all of a sudden this. perked up. <laughs> right, but it's definitely you know a struggle for the industry. Um, but you know, in terms of the the positive response to this, the real nugget to draw out of Mueller's comments on the call today, the earnings call, wasn't that you know it hasn't impacted sales; it's that it's targeting younger consumer groups. Um, so if P and G makes a bunch of older consumers mad, I think that's the expected response who they really want to reach with this and who they're over-indexing with is uh, younger consumers, you know. Um, so Brand Brand Total recently released uh, data from the campaign, and in the 19 to 24 age demo, uh, some over-indexed at something like 34% um, compared to the brand's usual targeting, which is something like 11%. And let me, is, yeah, let me just add to that when you say that statistic, because I, I noticed you didn't mention something, which is what I saw, which was that there was a differential gender response and that women were liking it yeah i mean it it is one of those things i mean it was directed by a woman um you know it's part of png's mission to to build out this more purpose-driven messaging um so you know if it if it makes a lot of people mad now the the real question is you know who's it going to stick with a few months from now and if it's uh you know women and younger consumers who have a more favorable view of the brand in you know three or four months that's a that's a win for PNG after this initial furor calms down. Yeah, I mean, and what we're seeing in advertising, I know Unilever, which is a competitor of PNG, right. and of course Unilever bought Harry Shaves Club. You know, right. the first subscription razor thing that really started taking a big bite out of Gillette. Mm-hmm. Unilever's very 
socially responsible. They're the ones who made the, the, the very famous Dove campaigns, and they've mm-hmm. done a lot of other things in this. So certainly you're seeing a lot of trend, which I think is your point, that there is a lot of trend towards this kind of socially responsible marketing. Well, the thing that's kind of interested me about the Gillette campaign is that, you know, it's a P&G brand. It's a bigger brand. Gillette is the dominant razor maker. But, you know, they're not the first people to talk, uh, tackle toxic masculinity. Um, I mean, you can make the argument that maybe their messaging's a little bit bolder because it does reference Me Too and harassment. But even in the razor category, you know, Schick Hydro... Um, yeah, and, and Harry's as well has... Yeah, have launched campaigns. You know, Schick Hydro, as recently as October... Have put this concentrated push. I mean, they're calling it developing healthy masculinity. But the idea about uh, you know the need for men to improve and be better and more accepting and inclusive is the same. So if I'm at Chick Hydro, I don't know. <laughs> if I'm a marketer at Chick Hydro, I don't know what my response to this is. You might be scratching your head saying, you know, why didn't we get this type of response? Because- well, you know, that's interesting that you said they went pro- in a positive, healthy man, and this right. is a negative toxic. Yeah, that, this is my big question. So have you have you seen the Harry's video with Ludacris? N- no, I haven't it seen it. It is delightful. So right. it's basically the narrative of the video is Ludacris reading to his son and then playing with his son and then he's taking a shower and actually making up a song that has to do with the book he read to his son so it's just like a man acting like a great dad right and super positive makes you feel really good about the brand and it seems strange to me that gillette made this choice to have their video starts so by negative. being very negative yeah, yeah. And saying, oh, but we can turn this around and make it positive. And it's it's not usual that uh, that ad content tries to make people feel bad about themselves. Right. Yeah. I'm, that's been the big differentiating point. Um, or you compare it. I mean, another comparison point, something like Nike's Kaepernick ad. Right, right. That's a natural. Yeah, but, you know, Nike's all about empowerment. And the Gillette one is essentially, you know, tutting people. But uh, I think one of the things to draw out from the P&G ad is that, you know, it's looking to, or the, the full campaign about it is it's looking to provide more resources to provide support to men, and they've pledged to, you know, work with more charities to improve role models. And there are some aspirational figures in the ad as well, you know, someone like Terry Crews, um, who in many ways embodies traditional masculinity, um, but also, you know, has, has been a, a victim of abuse and has spoken out about toxic masculinity as well. Peter, do you have numbers on how many views that Gillette ad is getting versus the Harry's Ludicrous ad? Uh, I can't pull it up uh, off the top of my head, but when we ran our PNG story midweek last week that had sort of the first third-party analysis, um, you know, the the YouTube ad was a uh, version of the PNG campaign or the Gillette campaign was, you know, close to 20 million views. Wow. The Twitter, yeah, I wonder if... If the negativity doesn't drive virality, right. yeah, right, it, it makes it easier to share because you're either very angry or very excited well, about what's it. The old, what's the old adage? No PR is bad PR. If you can, uh, if you can get people talking. Well, uh, you know what Jonah Berger would say, our famous colleague, uh, marketing colleague who wrote Contagious. It's about right. arousal. It's about so it's the anger. Um, not necessarily the negative, but the fact that it's angry. Right, right. and that might be why it's appealing to women, because it yeah. makes women angry. Yeah. And, you know, uh, th- there's been um, some predictions about, you know, this stuff's probably only going to become more common. Um, Forrester Research, uh, at the end of last year, sort of um, uh, published their 2019 uh, predictions and 
one of the top things that they drew from it was that, you know, CMOs are going to tap into a lot of societal unrest and political division to spark conversations about their brand because, you know, there's been enough successful case studies now that if you take a calculated risk and it pays off, it can be a huge deal. Um, you know, the Kaepernick ad being the most standout yeah. example mm-hmm. of this. So P&G's taking a gamble here. Uh, and again, you know, we won't really know how it plays out, but, you know, in three or four months' time, you know, maybe the conversation will have completely turned around on it. Um, another interesting, so when we did our third-party analysis roundup, um, you know, one of the things is that the people who did enjoy the ad uh, said they would remember it in three or four months. So after all the pissed-off people have logged off or forgotten about it, if it sticks with those people who enjoyed it the first time around, you know, maybe they're P&G customers now or Gillette customers. Yeah, it's pretty Maybe. cool. It'd be interesting about the women. The other thing that I read about the women is, a, and this is another discussion, but the female razors cost more than the male razors. Right. And the argument is women have to shave larger areas. Mm. So, <laughs> okay. Um, we're talking to Peter Adams, who's a reporter for Marketing Dive, and he's got his finger on the pulse of all things interesting in marketing. Uh, so you've also written a little bit about Netflix. What, yep. Why don't you tell us what's going on with Netflix? So, like um, like P&G, Netflix sort of kicked off the year um, with a big bang, maybe not as controversial, uh, well, certainly not as controversial, but uh, sort of right towards the end of last year, um, they debuted a, a sort of a, a new version of the Black Mirror program called Bandersnatch, um, which isn't their first go at interactive content, but it's their highest profile one, and there's just some interesting things in the program that sort of indicate how... Um, the platform might be thinking about, you know, marketing for the future. So I, I, I know what Black Mirror is. It's kind of like a Twilight Zone show with yep. a different um, plot each week. And I know some people that are incredibly loyal to that show and they just love it. Yeah. But I don't get what an interactive uh, platform means. Because to me, I watch TV. It's not interactive. So I don't yeah. get what you're talking about. Yeah, so it's like a, a choose-your-own-adventure experience. The reason why, you know, Bandersnatch sort of, um, rose a couple of flags for marketers is that so you're watching the program and it's like a normal TV show and then within the first five minutes of the show you're presented with a choice a character turns to the screen and he says you know do you want to eat Frosted Flakes or another cereal brand and you have to pick one and this on a regular TV he can do that I don't get that yeah, well, it's, uh, it's interesting how the, the technology they've developed behind it. But, you know, the idea is that they're collecting that data. And by having a Kellogg uh, brand and another brand up, um, you know, in the, at the beginning of the show, it's sort of, to me, that reads as Netflix saying, hey, you know, if you want to advertise in this way, wow. um, you know, this is a possibility. And if this sort of interactive content takes off, it could be a really strong bargaining chip for Netflix when it comes to competing against any number of other streaming platforms that are emerging um, because we do know they are collecting that data and sort of taking it back to inform uh, their strategies in other places. Yeah. Ellie, have you heard of any of this stuff, this interactive Yeah, stuff? no, it's really exciting. I mean, you, you do, you already interact with a Netflix app. You have to pick which show you want to watch. Right, yeah, right. I guess. So their main data asset at Netflix is having, you know, gobs and gobs of data about what shows you like to watch. And this adds a sort of new twist to it that we can ask you other questions. So it's going to work the same way as picking a show. Oh, I guess. Stops and says, pick which of these cereals you want the character to eat. Right. And and that gives you a lot of opportunity to collect kind of interesting data. So you, you actually looked, Peter, a little bit in the article at 
that they actually have the numbers on how many people were picking Frosted Flakes? <laughs> I, I believe they sort of trotted that out. And, uh, yeah, again, if you're a, a, a consumer or just a casual viewer, you can go, oh, that's what I picked. But if you're in the marketing industry and you see that, you go, well, why aren't we doing that on Netflix? And the idea is that over time, as they build out these interactive features, uh, Jesse uh, Damiani writing in The Verge um, you know, sort of proposed this idea of programmatic uh, product placement is what he called it. And so if, if Netflix is able to accrue enough of this data and the technology gets advanced enough, it'll be able to do product placement, not even at the interactive level, but just figure out if you chose Coke last time, you know, they, they can figure out how just to get it. silently Coke. swap in product yeah. content. So, like, I'm uh, watching Seinfeld, and instead of drinking a Diet Coke, he's drinking a Diet Pepsi? Right, versus your friend oh. who chose Pepsi, they're <laughs> drinking Diet Pepsi. Now, that's theoretical. They can't do that now. But it isn't so far-fetched. I mean, it sounds a little bit like a Black Mirror concept. But, again, <laughs> if, you're, if you're a marketer, that's like... Uh, 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 you know, com- like TV, live TV viewership is going down. People are watching TV commercials less. Netflix, it's tough to get in front of those consumers, even though they're super engaged because it's ad-free content. But this could be, you know, a really powerful uh, driver for business for them. Uh, again, if it takes off or if the technology is So is anybody else doing it or is Netflix way ahead of the curve? This is this would be a pretty original thing for them to have, and maybe uh, not necessarily this product, but you know, more innovative products um, are, are going to be more important for Netflix as you know Disney launches a streaming service later this year. NBC is thinking about launching a streaming service, or they, or they are launching a streaming service in the next few years, and they've recently re- reorganized their leadership um, around that uh, because you know a lot of the most popular Netflix content isn't Netflix's. Um, you know, stuff like The Office, Parks and Rec. If you look at um, Netflix doesn't share its streaming data, um, but if you look at, you know, some third-party analysis, uh, it, it's, it's a lot of stuff that if they lose it, it'll be a pretty serious hit to engagement on their platform. Well, I mean, and they've been in the news on the Roma thing. Do you have anything? I mean, that is kind of amazing that that made Best Picture nomination and yeah. with zero ticket sales. <laughs> right. Um, well, that, that's, I think that's good for their credibility, um, whether or not that can help them with, you know, the uh, the massive amount of like long term debt they have, you know, just billions that they've taken out to help produce more original content like Roma, um, I, I don't think as much. Uh, but yeah, Roma being nominated is interesting. So as a media company, they're making money only from subscriptions right now. They haven't really dabbled in selling advertising yet, have they? No, and if they did, it would uh, it would piss off a lot of people. I think one of the appeals of OTT services like that is that you don't have to watch any ads, and that's why people are, you know, dropping their cable subscription so quickly. Um, but, y- you know, uh, if they, if they want to make more money over the long term, they might have to start thinking about, you know, some forms of advertising. And if it isn't a commercial break, that's potentially a better experience for the viewers. So, so do you think process. along those lines, do you think they'll be pushed back from consumers that they feel like they're being marketed to or manipulated or... So something like what uh, Damiani was talking about in The Verge would be subtle enough that you might not even notice it. I mean, if that it, might make it worse. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but you know, the 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 Bandersnatch thing did stand out to me as as kind of very blatant product placement. Um, there was an aspect of novel, like a novelty aspect to it, that it wasn't super off-putting because I was like, "This is cool." I haven't really interacted with something like what this do, before. What do Frosted Flakes have to do with vampires? Sorry? What do Frosted Flakes have to do with vampires? 
I'm maybe missing uh, the reference. What vampires? Oh wait, what's I don't I don't watch Black Mirror. So how did it fit into the storyline? Oh, it's just like the opening scene. A, a, a guy's sitting at a a, a son is sitting at uh, the the dining table, and his dad says, "You know, hey kiddo, what do you want?" And he shows them both to the screen, and you pick which one you want. It's pretty innocuous. It's not like a, a big plot device, but you know, later on they get into the choices that affect the plot. Wow. Interesting. That is really interesting. So what are you looking at now, Peter? Uh, so some of the things to watch in, in the year ahead um, is, uh, you know, sort of, uh, I, I imagine, Ellie, that you also pay attention to this, given your specialty, and you as well, Barbara, is uh, sort of uh, data privacy and regulation. Uh, so Google just got hit with a, a record. Well, in Europe, right? Mm-hmm. Fine for GDPR, but that could be a reality in the in the U.S. as well soon, CCPA. Uh, the Cal- California Consumer Privacy Act goes into effect next year, and now a lot of the marketers, uh, a lot of people in the industry are kind of little on edge about that because if CCPA uh, is sort of adopted, uh, or a similar model to CCPA is adopted by other states, it's going to uh, create a real sort of data privacy headache. So, you know, some of the big ad trade groups and uh, high-profile executives, including, you know, Apple's Tim Cook, are now pushing for a, a comprehensive um, U.S. federal privacy law, as opposed to on the state-by-state level. Um, but, you know, it's a space that's going to get a lot messier. And, um, you know, the FTC is uh, not currently investigating uh, Facebook to its full potential over Cambridge Analytica because the government shut down, uh, but it could be a record-setting fine if Facebook is found to have violated the dis- uh, consent decree they cut with them. So uh, that's going to be the sort of uh, uh, ground-shaking developments uh, to come in the industry in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months or so that I would be uh, paying a lot of attention to. Have you been looking at all about what Amazon's play is in all of this? Because people are talking about in the end, Amazon's going to be the one to watch in this space. Yeah, I mean, they've got that HQ2 that they're starting hiring for at the end of uh, at the end of this year, supposedly. And, uh, yeah, they continue to just attract more brand dollars. I think uh, Amazon kind of commands specific categories, you know, repeat purchase categories like CPG. Um, but more and more, you're seeing brands develop products that are specifically centered around e-commerce, and e-commerce in a lot of ways just doubles as a word. No, for but Amazon in the advertising business, in the content business, they are going to marry their data on the e-commerce side with all this data on that side. And you, if you start believing in this interactive framework, and and you want someone to do it pretty smartly you'd want someone who have the kind of data amazon has on purchase you, yeah, know, you wouldn't be just deciding whether or not that kid is going to yeah, eat the right, frosted right, flakes right, or yeah. but whether or not the frosted flakes are going to show up at your house tomorrow yeah, I, mean, I mean the combination of connecting that whole e-commerce platform with the content platform um that's that takes it uh, to another level up from facebook and google i think yeah and it's um if you look at uh there's some uh data that's out there the, the amount of like search budgets that are shifting um, towards Amazon away from Google are getting a little more significant. Um, you know, Amazon's share of the total digital advertising market is still, you know, Google and Facebook are so um, commanding. Uh, but yeah, in the next couple of years, it's going to be a, a series. I mean, it's a tri- it's a triopoly essentially already. And as you guys said, you know, it's really powerful to be able to serve an ad and directly link it um, to the point of sale. And uh, they're only building out more products in regard to that. I mean, they announced a new brand. Amazon announced a new brand metric this week. 
Yeah, I would never underestimate Amazon, even yeah. though he's got some personal stuff to deal yeah. with right now. <laughs> Might be a little distracted, but I would never underestimate him. Yeah. Well, Peter, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It was really great to have you, and we'd love to have you come on again. With Anytime you have some new exciting stuff to talk about, please call us up. We'd love to have you here. For sure. It's always a pleasure. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 